We all have fears. Everybody is freaked out about something. I'm going to start and take volunteers, and you're going to tell us what you're afraid of. Let's go. Public speaking. Good. Me too. We all are afraid of something. As we jump into this psalm, though, there's actually like some, some groundwork that we got to do to think about fear. When you read many of the psalms, uh, David or those who are writing those psalms will talk about being afraid of someone chasing them. In this case today, an army is encamped around them, people uh, gunning for their lives, people doing things that physically threaten them. And I would say that most of us probably don't know what that feels like, to have people physically trying to take our lives. Unless you're one of our first responders or unless uh, you're in the military, have been in the military, then maybe some of you would. Uh, but for most of us, we probably like, haven't experienced that type of fear. So when I start to talk about fear, you might think about some of those phobias, right? Uh, how many of you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year like my family does? You know the Charlie Brown Christmas special? Yeah, you do. So you know that Lucy is trying to uh, counsel Charlie about his fears and what his problem is. And she has all these different phobias that she lists. And ultimately she realizes that what is his real problem? He suffers from... Really? Nobody? Come on! Pantophobia, the fear of everything. The first service nailed that, you guys. Come on. The fear of everything. And you think in our culture today, there's like people are afraid of lots of different things, and there's a phobia for everything, right? I lit, looked at some on Google. I won't share them with you. You can look them up while I'm talking if you want to. But there's lots of different like phobias that people have, and you're like, that's a fear? That's strange. When we start to read the Psalms, however, I don't want us to think about like surface fears, like if you're afraid of spiders or snakes or things that crunch or anything like that. I want you to think about like a deeper level of fear, and here's what I'm talking about. For most of us, uh, by the way, fear has a couple of close cousins, right? The cousins to fear are worry and anxiety. Usually if you struggle with some kind of worry or anxiety, there's a fear of some sort, and maybe that fear is this. Uh, people talk about the fear of man, meaning the fear of other people's opinions, right? Uh, the fear of people, the fear, fear of man drives marketing in many ways. Many of us have a fear of other people and their opinions, and, and we don't even know it. Um, because of the fear of other people and their opinions of us, sometimes we buy things that we don't want. We go places that we never thought that we would go, do things that we never really wanted to do um, because other people did it. There's actually a phrase that we use in our culture, and I think most of you, especially if you're my age or younger, will know this, FOMO, fear of missing out. It's actually a fear, right? Fear of missing out is actually a fear, and it shows up on Instagram all the time. Do you know that, right? Fear of missing out. I never thought I would take this $35,000 trip to this exotic location, but my neighbor did, and because of FOMO, now I'm here. I don't like the beach, I don't like sand, I don't like any of those things, but now I'm here because my neighbor did, and I have FOMO. FOMO causes us to go to restaurants that we wouldn't normally eat at and eat food that we don't really like and pay more money than we ever should for that food because people are afraid of like missing out. If everybody else is doing it, then I probably should be doing it, and if not, I might miss out, and that wouldn't be good. You see how fear can be insidious? Like fear can drive us? Fear of rejection. Many of us don't even know that we struggle with the fear of rejection, but because of things that happened to us in our past, um, things that we've experienced as kids, we actually suffer from a fear of rejection. 
Fear of other people's opinions is a, is a huge one as well. Fear of not measuring up. Fear of wanting people to see me as impressive, and if they don't see me as impressive, then I don't measure up. Like, that fear can drive us. So when we start to talk about fear, almost what we have to do is push some of those surface fears to the side and actually start to think about and talk about the deeper fears, and even for some of us, some of the fears that are unrealized, things that we never even knew that we struggle, but they're, what's happening is that they're driving our life. And all of those things are things that we all experience, and what I know about fear is that everybody has fears, everybody experiences fears, and they may not even be what I think that they are, but those fears hold us back from the life that God wants for us from the freedom that God desires for us. Psalm 27 is going to help us face down our fears. If David, a great king and a great warrior, had real fears and was willing to open up and talk about and share those fears, I think for each of us it's worth looking into our own hearts, into our own souls, to say what might be those deeper fears that might be driving the things that I do, and how can I face those things and move forward in the freedom that God offers as well? I'd like you to bow in prayer before we actually open God's word. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. Uh, again, where we can open it and expose our hearts and our lives. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would lay on the hearts of, of your people today the fears that may be um, holding them back, the, the fears uh, maybe the, the deeper level, more insidious, hard to see, hard to find, unrealized fears. God, would you um, just expose those things today? We don't want to be people who are, are held back from the life that you want for us uh, because of things in our lives that are getting in the way of that, that, that cause us fear and anxiety and worry. And so God, as I open this book, as we open it together, and um, as I try to expound and expose the things who are in there, would you give me wisdom as I do that? Um, and would you give us a spirit of discernment and the ability to hear and understand? In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 27 is going to give us three things that we can do when we're facing down our fear. But before I give you those, I want to say this briefly. I said it in the first service, is that sometimes as pastors, we put together our three-point outlines, and they're sometimes alliterated. They're not today, you're welcome. But sometimes they are, and it seems neat and tidy. If you wrestle with fear in your life of any kind, you know that it's anything but neat and tidy. And the last thing I would want you to hear today is a pastor getting up and saying, look, you just need to follow these three simple steps and everything in your life will suddenly get better. Guys, that's really not the case. That what we're going to hear is truth from God's word, and it can sound simple, but for some of you, this may just be just the start. It might just be scratching the surface. So for those of you who that's the case, I don't want this to feel like we're belittling those deep feelings, um, but I do want you to see from God's word what scripture actually has to say that can be very freeing. So when we're facing down our fears, number one, we need to declare what we know. Psalm 27, verses one through six. We can declare what we know. Verse 27, or chapter 27, the very first part, it says, of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What do you know about God from that passage? What do I know about God from that passage? I know that David uses three metaphors that are supposed to instill confidence in us. He uses the word light and salvation 
and stronghold. And those are three really important word pictures for God, even right there in the first verse. And usually when you're reading the Psalms, by the way, the first verse kind of sets the tone for the whole thing. And so you look at the first verse and what is said and what, uh, how it's said, and you say, that's going to set the tone for the whole thing. And David just piles up some metaphors right here that are very important. If we're going to declare what we know about God, we go to the scriptures to see what it says about God. If you're reading God's word, Old Testament or New Testament, the best place you can start is, what does this tell me about God? The Lord is my light. You ever been in that place where the lights went out and you needed a light? It's dark, it's pitch dark, and you need a light? I was hiking in the woods a lot of years ago. Linz was there. It was a long time ago. But uh, we were hiking in the woods on an overnight hike, and I got the duty of hanging the bear bag. Now, if you go hiking, you know that you have to hang the bear bag because you don't want the bears to come into your tent to get your food. And so they sent me out into the woods. Everybody else set up their tents, got into their tents, and they were going to sleep. And I was out in the woods hanging the bear bag. Why I was doing it by myself, I'm not sure. We'll leave that for a different day. But I'm out there, and it had been kind of like dusk as I was going out. And so I get out, and I'm hanging, finding the right place, and I hang the bag. And as I'm doing this process, like the sun went all the way down. And I realized that I was in pitch dark and because I thought it was going to be a short job, it turned out to be a longer job. Like, I actually didn't have a flashlight with me. And I'm out there, and it's pitch dark. And I was, I don't know if I was 50 yards away from the tent. Because you've got to get out a little ways, right? You don't want the bears to come in the middle of the night. And so I'm out there in the pitch dark, and I realized, like, I didn't know which direction camp was. Which direction the tents were. And everybody else had gone in, and it was, like, already in the process of going to sleep. So what did I do? I had a fear. I screamed like a little girl. Okay. Or a little boy, I mean, let's be careful. Guys! <laughs> Guys! <laughs> Hello! Guys! And in that moment, I saw something. Somebody heard me and had the presence to unzip their tent and to take a flashlight or a headlamp and shine that thing. And in that moment, I went from despair to hope, right? Ah! I was going to start walking the other way. That's where the bears are right? And I was able to walk back to the tent. I was like, it's cool. I'm all good. No, I didn't forget my flashlight. Duh, right? When we're in those dark times in life, that's God. God is the light. You're in the dark, deep, dark season of life. You open God's word. You come to church. You sing praises. You put yourself around other Christians. It's like that beacon of hope. It's like that light in the middle of the darkness. It's like, ah, I know where to go. I know which direction. There's hope. It's going to be okay. You experience that? Like that's what that metaphor is about. The Lord is my light. He goes on. He says, the Lord is my salvation. And salvation is like a churchy kind of word, right? Like we talk about, oh, the Lord's my salvation. And he is. Like Jesus is our Savior. But when he's talking about it here, he's talking about like being grabbed and saved. And I had a picture of this a couple weeks ago at camp. We were out at the lake, and they had a dock, and there's a diving board, and there's, this pl- there's one side of the dock where everybody's safe and everything's fine, and the other side of the dock where it's over everyone's head, and that's where you go boating. And a young lady got out in, into the deep side without a life jacket, which was like a big no-no, but it happened. And so we're kind of out there. I was out on a paddleboard a little ways away and some other people in kayaks. And we thought, okay, she's out. Hey, you need to get back there. And so she started to do something that maybe resembled swimming. But then we realized that like, she wasn't swimming as much as she was sinking. 
And as this young lady was about to go under the water, like we're watching almost as if it's in slow-mo, I'm like, do I jump off the paddleboard? Do I David Hasselhoff it or not? If you don't understand that illustration, by the way, ask somebody who's my age or older. And I thought, do I jump in or what happens? And in that moment, somebody reached down from the dock and just grabbed her and yanked her right out of the water. Salvation. Right? That's salvation. You come to that place in your life where you feel like you're just about to drown? You come to that place where, like, whether it's other people that you feared or other situations that you feared or rejection that you feared or whatever it is, and you feel like you're just about to drown, like God is your salvation. He grabs you and he pulls you out of that. Lord is my light and my salvation. Finally, it says my stronghold. That's a place of great strength. And as I said in the first service, that, like if you have the opportunity to share a Lord of the Rings illustration at any time, you use it, right? Oh. Where's my boy Andrew Smith when I need him? Helm's Deep is the great stronghold in the Lord of the Rings. And it's a place where they could go and they could be safe and they could be secure and they could be taken care of. Unfortunately, in the Lord of the Rings, Helm's Deep gets like infiltrated. But God is the stronghold that cannot be infiltrated. God is that place that you go to for refuge. In David's day, they had the strongholds as the place where when the enemy was attacking, that was the place where you could go, where you knew you were going to be safe, where you knew you were going to be secure. God is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If we could just stop and declare that one thing in the midst of our fears, we would be a long way toward facing down our fears. But these verses actually give us five different things, and that's only the first. I can declare that God is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. But look at verses 2 and 3. He says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rises against me, yet I will be confident. Look what David was facing. Some sort of flesh-eating evildoers. Now, that's Lord of the Rings for you, right? Obviously, it's metaphorical, but it's some intense enemy. He says that he had adversaries. He had foes. There was an army that was literally encamped against him and people going to war against him. These are all things that would threaten to overwhelm us. One of the things that fear does is that it overwhelms us. It makes us think that there's no hope outside of it, that there's nothing that can be done to defeat it. And David felt what that's like. But what I think is important here that you would see, that David was willing to openly admit the significance and the bigness of the fears that he faced. One of the things that that is so dangerous and insidious about fears is that we keep it hidden inside. Whether it's because we're men or because we're Americans or whatever it is, it's like we can't say, hey, I struggle with this. Hey, I really wrestle with this. Hey, I'm really dealing with this thing right now. The ability to get those significant fears out in the open helps us to not be overwhelmed by them. That's what the church is supposed to be about. You know that? Like one of the reasons that we want you to develop friendships within the church and we work hard to try to connect people to other people and we don't just come and sit on Sunday mornings is because when you're going through the darkness, when you're going through the hard time, when you're going through that fear, like who's there to talk to you? Who's there so you can get it out in the open? The guy that's up here playing the guitar, Roger, 
That's my buddy. That's a guy that I can go to and talk to and say, hey, here's things that are going on in my life and we can process together. Pastor Lauren, another guy who we can talk and say, like, here's where I'm struggling. Because one of the things that you got to do is get fear out in the open and expose it so that it does not overwhelm you. It's funny because when it's inside, just how big it looks, huh? Like when fear is just, it's just me, man, it looks so big. But sometimes when I lay it on the table, it has a tendency to get a lot smaller because I get perspective. And when I hear somebody else say, man, I've had that same thing. I've thought and felt that same way. It puts it in perspective, doesn't it? So what you need to know from verses 2 and 3 is simply this. That while your fears may be significant, they don't have to overwhelm you. You don't have to be overwhelmed by your fears. Verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. What is fascinating is where David looks to calm his fears. You know, we can, we, we can tell a lot about ourselves by the things that we look to to calm our fears. And there are many in our culture today, aren't there? Many things in our culture to calm our fears. As a young man, as a teenager, I grew up in a, a small house on an acre of property uh, adjacent to cornfield. In that cornfield lived some of my greatest fears, snakes. Thank you. Please don't use that against me. Snakes. And in Delaware, we don't have a bunch of uh, dangerous snakes, but we have big snakes. There were these black snakes, and they would eat the uh, mice in the field, <laughs> and then they would come into our yard and try to come into our house. And that was a great fear of mine. And some of my friends exploited that fear, and they would chase me around with the snakes, and they would put the snakes places so that I would see them and say things that pastors shouldn't say, and it wasn't pretty, right? And so I was damaged as a child because of all this, until the day my dad bought me a shotgun. Then I had a place to calm my fears. And so I would see the snake. I remember on one occasion, there's this six-foot black snake that's out, and they would get these little lumps in them from where they had eaten things, and they were really interesting. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> hey, I was traumatized by it. You should be too. So I run inside the house, and I get my shotgun, and I load it up. Boom! 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 And, and there you're only going to have three shots at a time. We can talk about that later, right? I emptied this gun on this snake, and it was dead, but not dead enough. Three more shells. Boom! My mom's going out. What are you doing, you idiot? Not dead enough. Boom! Keep shooting, right? Ammo was cheap back in the day. Just keep going. Because we all find ways to calm our fears. We all find ways to make ourselves feel better. But it's usually not the best way, is it? It's usually not the smartest way. It's usually not the calmest way to calm our fears. We may try to calm our fears through purchasing things. We may try to calm our fears through increasing our bank account or increasing our friends and followers and those people that we think like us, but they're actually just afraid of the, missing out on the things that we're doing. We may try to calm our fears in a variety of ways. It can be medications. It can be alcohol. It can be all kinds of ways that we try to calm our fears. There's only one real way to calm your fears. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Where is David? When David is fearing, where does he go? He goes to, we would call it today, you're there, church. 
He goes to church. He's like, I want to be with God. I want to be with the people of God. I want to spend time seeing God and God's goodness and God's greatness. You guys, there's something about church that's supposed to calm our deeper fears. Most of the fears that we have are like identity-related fears, right? In other words, like who am I and what am I doing and what's my purpose in life and those kinds of things. It's mostly those kinds of fears that we have. And so as you think about the things that David looks for, he says, I, one thing I have asked and I will seek after, they may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then that next phrase, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. When God's people come together and we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, you know how beautiful it is when there's 100 people, 150 people singing praises to God together? Because that's a beautiful thing. That's something that God gave us. It's not just Christian karaoke, right? If you're new to church here, that's not just Christian karaoke. There's a soul-strengthening aspect to singing the songs. There's intentionality in putting these songs together. There's the singing of, of lyrics that take us to places. That's gazing on the beauty of the Lord. And here's what I know, that the, the bigger God is, the smaller my fears are. The bigger my view of God, I, I can't be gazing at the beauty of God and still remain in fear. You see that? Like the bigger my view of God and the greater my view of God and the more beautiful my understanding of God, that has the tendency to put my, my fears in perspective. Know where you can go to calm your fears. Don't go to all the other places and all the other things. Go to the one place that can really calm your fears, and that is to the Lord. Related to that is verse 5, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. That's security and shelter. The idea of security and shelter. And we all want to feel secure. I read something just this morning and it said this, hide in fear or hide in God. Right? I can either hide in fear or I can hide in God. We know what it's like to hide in fear, don't we? Like as a little kid, you pull the blanket up over your head, no, I'm safe, right? The circumstances are exactly the same, but since I can't see them, I'm good. You know, some of us do that same thing today with our fears. We might not literally have a blanket that we just pull up over our heads, but figuratively speaking, we just ignore it. We just pull the blanket up over our head, figuratively speaking. It's not there, it's not there, it won't hurt me. And then we take the blanket off and we're freaked out again. But what this text is saying is that there's a place of true security. I can either hide in fear or I can hide in God. Verse 6 says this. Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I love David's tone here because he's saying that deliverance is actually possible. He's saying, I know it. My head is going to be lifted up above my enemies. God's going to offer me, going to give me, going to provide deliverance. And then I'm going to respond with shouts of joy. I'm going to respond by singing and making melody to the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've been really scared, like physically scared, and then you just randomly started to sing and you were like, what is going on here? I've been in that place a couple times. Go out in the mountains and, you know, you're going to go hiking and I'm going to be up in the woods by myself somewhere out away from everybody and it's winter time and, you know, we got the snowshoes on and, and things like that and I'm out by myself. 
And you get out there, man, sometimes it gets a little weird. Now, I love being out, right? I love being by myself. I love peace and quiet, and I love the snow and all those things. But there's stuff that lives in the woods, isn't there? And the cool thing is, is in the winter, the bears are asleep. But that means the actual dangerous stuff is out there, right? Those mountain lions, all that stuff. And you get out by yourself, and no matter how big and cool and macho you are, unless there's like something just not quite square in your head, like there's things going on in your mind, right? And I, I'm not a hunter. In other words, I don't hike with a gun. So I go out, and I'm out there, and I'm like, I'm, out, I'm up here quite a ways. And I see other tracks. Sometimes you see other tracks in the ground, and you're like, those aren't from other people, but they are pretty big. One time I saw, oh, I can't talk about that. Never mind. <laughs> saw other things that made me realize I wasn't alone out there, but it wasn't a human. And you get like, like I can feel it, right? I was like, I want to be out here, I think. Ah. And for some reason, I just start singing. Now, I'm pretty sure it's because of my voice, and I'm, I'm going to scare things away, right? I was like, oh, I know. It's a deterrent. I don't need bear spray. I'll just start singing, and they're out of here. But have you ever had that time in your life where, you know, you're not out in the woods, but you're, something is going on, and God brings a song to your heart, a song to your mind. Like you're going through a difficulty. You get the diagnosis. You get the email. You get the phone call. You get that thing. And like God brings a song to your mind. You know, that's why I believe that's why God gave us music, by the way. One of the reasons that God gave us music. It's depressing for a preacher to actually admit this, but you will remember very little of what I have to say today. And you're not going to go out and be quoting that this week. But there's a decent chance you might be singing, The God of angel armies is always by my side. I told you it was rough, see? Some of you are actually scared and running now. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no bear is going to attack that guy in the woods. But God gives us music for that reason because sometimes like just those words of those songs come back to our minds and, and, and can help to calm our fears. That, by the way, is why it's so important that the music that we sing is like good, like theologically sound music, right? And so we try to work hard on that. But I want you to know that there are things that you can know about God to calm your fears all of those things in verses 1 through 6 are things that are meant to instill confidence. So David is saying, I have confidence in my God. In the midst of these significant fears that I have, that I have confidence in my God and who he is and what he's going to do for me. And what's supposed to happen then is that confidence from 1 through 6 is going to fuel the prayer that we'll find in 7 through 12. In 7 through 12, the tone is going to change. And we're going to see that not only do I declare what I know, but then I express what I need. Verse 7 says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Verses 7 through 10, David is expressing his need for God's attention. He's expressing his need for God's attention. Now, as Roger said when we started this morning, we know that like, God's not like, up there just not paying attention to us. But here's one of the things about fear. Fear can blind us to God's face. Fear can blind us to the fact that God is there, to God's presence. 
Like, I get so freaked out about whatever it is in life. I get so, and maybe you get freaked out about your finances. You get freaked out about your friendships or lack of friendships. You get freaked out about having to, like, go to that family reunion or whatever the thing is. And what usually happens is that fear is right here in my face, and it just blinds me from the fact that God is there and that God is with me. I get so scared that I'm going to miss out on something and therefore I'm going to be less significant than somebody around me. Or I'm not going to be able to afford something that someone else has and so therefore I'm lesser of a person than they are. And that fear starts to drive my life and drive my priorities. Usually what happens is that fear is blinding me from God and the face of God and God's attention. And in this moment, David gets real and he calls out to God. And you'll notice each of those verbs. Hear, be gracious, answer. Hide not, turn not, cast me not off. We talked about this extensively last week in Psalm 22. But even when it seems like in my experience that God is absent, that I don't have God's attention, I need to be reminded that God is always present and that I've always got God's attention. You know what I need when I'm facing down my fears? I don't need more of my wife's attention. I don't need more of my kids' attention. I don't need more of the church's attention. I don't need more of my culture's attention. I don't need more people telling me I'm impressive. I don't need more people telling me I'm good enough or okay enough. What I need when I'm facing down my fears is I need God's attention. And I need to express my faith and my trust in God's attention. Verse 11, he says this. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path. Because of my enemies. Not only God's attention, but we need God's direction. Verse 11 is about God's direction. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. If you've ever been somewhere that you're not quite sure where you're at, or somewhere maybe that you're afraid of getting lost, you know the best thing you can have is a guide who's been there before, right? Someone who you can just look at them and they'll follow you. And whether that's in the woods, or whether that's in a foreign country, or whatever it is. We take missions trips to Nicaragua, and, and Lauren's brother-in-law, who's since passed away, but Adrian would be there. And, and I didn't know my way around Nicaragua, and I may look like I should, but I don't know Spanish, right? And so I would like just get in the car with Adrian, and I would drive with Adrian, and I knew if I had Adrian there, I was going to be okay, because he was leading me where I needed to, to go. I want you to know that whatever it is that has you freaked out, whatever it is that you fear, that God's walked the path before that the one who leads us in those moments is not oblivious to what's going on in our lives. And what I need is for God to like teach me his ways because there's so many other things trying to teach me their ways of handling fear. There's so many other philosophies and ideologies and just marketing techniques that are saying, here's what you need to face your fears. Here's what you need to face your fears. Here's how you do it. And what I need is God to teach me his way and God to lead me in his way. So I express to God, God, I need your attention. But not only that, God, I need your direction. I need you to direct me and guide me. And then finally in verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have arisen against me and they breathe out violence. You had that experience People lying about you, talking bad about you, saying things that aren't true, leaving reviews on that social media thing, whatever it is. And you know that it's false, but it still gets you, doesn't it? 
Somebody posts something about you online that's just derogatory. Somebody says something about you because of your Christian faith, and you're like, man, that, that, I know that's not true, but man, that hurts. And David says to God, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. He's asking for God's protection. Because one of the things that can happen is in those moments when fear has us blinded, it can blind us from the fact that God is there and he is protecting us. That sometimes in those moments, there are moments for us to be able to do what God has given us to do. And it's an opportunity, mission for God. It's an opportunity of witness for God. It's an opportunity to give testimony to God's faithfulness. So David declares what he knows about God, and that gives him confidence then to express what he needs about God. And then finally, he takes action in the last couple verses. In verses 13 and 14, we fight fear with faith. Verse 13, I believe. I don't know if you're into marking your Bibles or circling your Bibles or anything like that, but if there was a word, I would do that one. After the first service, a lady came up to me and she said, this is like my life verse, verse 13. Because it's not about something that's already happened. It's not about like a deliverance or whatever that I've already experienced. It's about faith in the future. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. Church, usually our deepest fear shows us something about our understanding of the character of God. Usually when I look at the things that I worry about, the things that I get anxious about, it is somehow related to to what I believe about the goodness of God. And David says, I'm going to put my faith and I'm going to put my trust in the fact that God is good and that I'm going to see his goodness in the land of the living. And then verse 14 is that verse that we just wish wasn't there. Yeah, there you go. Should we say it together? Because what I wish verse 13 was followed by, you know, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I'm going to go get that shotgun, right? I believe that I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I'm going to post back. I'm going to hate post back. I'm going to revenge post. I believe that I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I'm going to run around and do a lot of stuff. Come on, David, verse 14 Wait for the Lord. No. Like some of you are waiters. I mean, I don't know if you work at a restaurant, but some of you are people who are like totally cool with waiting. I'm not a wait guy, right? Ask my wife, ask my kids. Problem, let's fix it, right? Problem, ooh, obstacle, let's fix it. I am not a wait guy. But what happens is that I'm gonna wait for the Lord. But watch this verse, wait for the Lord be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. When, when David says, I believe, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about confident expectation of a positive result. He's got this confident expectation that there will be a positive result of what he's facing, and then he's going to put his hope in that and then live accordingly. If I have that confident expectation... I have a lot less propensity to feel like I have to fix it all myself. But here's the difference. I'll give credit. Jim Isaacson and I had a conversation this week. If you don't know Jim, um, he uh, was a pastor, retired pastor, and is a member of our congregation. But we were having a conversation this week about something different. And Jim said, you know what? There's a difference between patience and passivity, right? There's a difference between patience and passivity, 
So what often happens is that Christians especially see something like waiting on the Lord as passivity. And it's not. You, you don't look at the life and study the life of David and see a passive man. What he's talking about is having patience. And what I want you to know is that as we like, fight fear with faith, it's going to take patience. But he's not asking us to be passive. Because here's what some of us will do. I'm totally freaked out right now, and I'm just going to sit here. And I'm still freaked out. And now I'm more freaked out. So I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to like nod up and down, and that's going to help. right? And now I'm really freaked out. But I'm waiting, so I must be doing the right thing. What we're actually doing is just being passive. He doesn't call us to passivity. He calls us to patience. And what patience might look like is instead of sitting like this, patience, the hardest posture for many of us, is this one, right? And it's hard sometimes to pray because I want to fix it. I want to respond to it. I want to react. So I can either sit in the corner and freak out and be passive or I can be patient and just keep praying through that thing. And then when God gives the opportunity, then it's time to stand up and it's time to take action. We can wait passively or we can wait patiently. And what we need to do as Christians is to wait patiently. As we wrap it up this morning and talking about declaring what you know and expressing what you need and fighting fear with faith, this week, in the providence of God, he gave me a great illustration that I think wraps this whole thing up in terms of facing down your fears. And on Tuesday evening, we were at a pool party at Linz's brother's house, Josh's house. And Linz's sister, who's here with us and her family, she has twin girls as well. They're all right over there. You're like, twins, do they run in your family? I guess they do, Right? So I've got Maddie and my twins, she's got her twins, and then she's got Ruby, and then they've got Westy because they had to have a boy, you know. And we're at the pool party, and in the providence of God, the twins, the younger twins, have been learning how to swim over the last two weeks. And so we're there at the pool party, and they had been given assignment by their friend, their teacher, their, their uh, swimming teacher, and their assignment Oh, by the way, I asked for permission to share this. Some of you look awkward right now. We're good. I'll probably have to pay them later. But what happened was we get there, and they had an assignment. And their assignment, Uncle Josh's pool is eight feet deep at the deepest spot. So they're like, you know, four feet tall. So you can see the difference. But their assignment was that they had to stand on the edge of the pool. They had to jump in. They had to swim to the other side. And then they had to touch the other side. And then they had to swim back. And I think they had to do this five times. They had to do it a bunch of times. And if they did it the required amount of times, they were going to get 50 bucks. I know what some of you are thinking. Who's their swimming teacher? Right? Because that's, that's what I was thinking. I passed my swimming test as a kid. I got a hot dog at the end of it. A hot dog. It wasn't even a good hot dog. It was boiled. Ugh. Right? But what ensued in those few hours was facing down your fears. The girls had been learning for a week how to swim. They knew that they could swim. There were many declarations, mainly by parents and uh, other adults, about what they knew. You know how to swim. Over and over. You know how to swim. You not Say it with me. We know how to swim, right? Down in the pool was dad, Uncle Josh, Uncle Steve, cousins. Like they could have walked across water, probably. Now that we think about it. 
But the, the job was that they had to jump in, not touch the wall, not touch anybody else, and swim over and swim back. Now, for some of you, even as adults, you're like, that's kind of fearful, right? But as a kid, you remember that moment when you were learning how to swim. I remember. They said, tomorrow, we're going out to the deep end of the pond. And I was like, this is freaky, number one, because it's a pond, and number two, because it's the deep end. I laid awake for hours. So there was some fear standing on the edge of that pool with Macy and Lila. And nobody blamed them. We weren't like, ah, you guys are crazy, right? We're like, yeah, we get it. We understand it. There's fear because I'm going to jump in. And then what happens next is like, you know, up for grabs a little bit. There was some declaring what they knew. But there was also some expressing what we need. Dad, you going to catch me? Dad, are you going to be there? Uncle Steve, Uncle Josh, are you going to be there? They wanted to know, are, they, are we going to be there? Are we going to take care of him? Are we going to keep him safe? I'm like, look, I've been swimming for years. This is going to be fine. Now I'm getting tired treading water right now, so I'm not sure how it's going to go, but, right? But they had plenty of people, and there was an exp- some serious expressing of what we need. There may have been a couple tears, which is normal. But then came the moment. When one of them was like, okay, and we're counting down, three, two, one, three quarters, half, decimal point, decimal, right? And then finally one of them jumped. Let me ask you this. You think they jumped off the edge with just a cannonball? Yeah! (sighs) Swam over to the other side, kicked off, backstroke back, woo! Sometimes in our life, that's what we think it's going to be like. Sometimes in our life we think, like, I'm going to face this fear thing and I'm just going to cannonball in and it's going to be amazing. What actually ensued was a healthy period of time where we learned that we didn't have to jump into Uncle Josh's face. We didn't have to jump onto the wall. We didn't have to jump into other people's arms. But slowly, little by little, it was jump in and swim a little bit. And jump in and swim a little bit more. You know what we had by the end of that night? A couple fish. Parents sitting on the side of the pool. No, 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 don't jump in yet. Don't jump in. Right? And on Friday, they passed their swimming test. Woo! Heroes. And got the 50 bucks, right? Okay, good. So I don't have to pay you for this illustration? Great. But I thought, you know what? What an incredible illustration about our lives and facing our fears. We have this idea, like, first of all, we're freaked out. We know that we know how to swim. We know that God's there. We know he's not going to let us down. He's not going to let us drown. He's going to carry us through this thing, right? We need to declare what we know. But then there's some needs that we have in our lives, and we need to ex- be willing to express those needs. God, this feels really scary right now, and I just need to know that you're here. Can you like, help me know that you're here? But at the end of the day, you've got to step off the edge. At the end of the day, you've got to get in the pool. At the end of the day, you got to take the step. And I, what I love about the picture is like it's not ever just going to be run and jump in and everything's great, right? When God says, no, don't buy that thing because you don't really need it or want it. You're just afraid that everybody else has it and what you're going to feel like if you don't. When God says, pursue that relationship, even though rejection is a real possibility, When God says, you need to trust me that you're enough without having to just keep performing and performing and performing and feeling like you're in your performance is how you're enough. And meanwhile, being driven by this fear that you'll never never be enough. When God says, rest in me, you're standing on the edge of the pool. And sometimes jumping in is just trying to like, you know, jump into somebody's arms or jump in and get get the wall and keep from drowning. 
This is a messy process. If you've dealt with this for a long time, it's especially a messy process. But what I want you to know is that through Christ, we can, like, we can face down our fears, whatever they are. The way we're going to end this morning, I'm going to have Roger come up, and he's just going to play for a couple of minutes. This is going to be different, and I'll be honest, for some of you it'll be awkward because we're not used to just being quiet for a couple of minutes. He's just going to play some music quietly, and on the screen I have four questions that I'd like for you to consider. What is my fear? Like what might be that deeper fear that you're dealing with? You just need to like put that on the table. Think about it. Dig in. Admit it. And then what do I know? Like what do I really know about God and who God is and, and what God thinks about me? What do I know from the word of God? What do I need from God? And ultimately, like what might be that one step off the edge that I need to take to fight fear with faith? I just want to give you a couple minutes here to, to wrestle with that on your own. You can bow your heads and close your eyes if you'd like. You can look at the screen, whatever you need to do. But I'll come up in a minute and I'll pray us out. But I just want to give you a minute to reflect on that.
Father, we just want to admit this morning um, that there are fears uh, which drive our lives. Probably most of those are things that we don't even see readily or know about. I would just pray that you would continue in my life this week, um, in the lives of the people who are here in front of me, that you would continue to expose those things because there are things that are taking away the freedom that you desire for us to have. Father, we also acknowledge that the only way that we have any kind of freedom is because of your son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place for our sins. And God, if there's someone here who's struggling with fear, uh, whether it's fear of the future or fear in life, that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that you would call them to yourself even today. God, help us to face down the fears in our lives uh, by placing our faith in you day in and day out. We're thankful for psalms like this that show us um, just the real nature of these things. Um, But God, to give us hope and give us confidence and assurance. And so I pray that we would leave this place with confidence wherever we are and whatever we've been through, whatever's been going on in our life, that God, that we would leave this place um, with confidence, knowing um, the freedom and the hope and the joy that we can have. God, that there would be a song in our heart, um, a spring in our step, and excitement. Um, God, that we'd be able to take that step off the edge of the pool um, and experience the joy that it is to just enjoy life with you. So we thank you for this morning and ask you continue to take us on that journey. In Jesus' name, amen.